0: This is the Redemption Podcast, brought to you by Westwood Westwood. And I'm Johnny Kovach.
1: And I'm Ariella Kozin.
0: I'm a part of an organization called Inside Out Writers, or IOW. For the last nine years, I've been teaching at an LA County juvenile hall to minors being tried as adults. We use creative writing for personal transformation and for the students to gain knowledge and skills to reintegrate into the community. Our mission is to keep teens from reoffending so they don't land in prison. After new laws passed that provided those who are currently incarcerated at the state level a chance at an early parole, I wanted to extend our program to the prisons. About two and a half years ago, I founded the Inside Out Writers Prison Insight Program. Within the seven prisons I'm currently in, I've witnessed a remarkable transformation in terms of personal insight, accountability, remorse, and a real longing for those individuals to make peace with themselves and those who were directly impacted by their crime.
1: And I'm a writer and editor for Westwood Westwood. I write about everything from politics to TV shows, but I've always been a little obsessed with crime stories. I've listened to the podcast, watched the documentaries, and I've even written a story called The Science Behind Your Love of True Crime. But I've noticed through my talks with Johnny that there's a gaping hole in all this true crime content. And it's because, as Americans, we've all been conditioned to believe crime makes you a horrible person who should be shunned for society's safety. We've all generally been taught, once a criminal, always a criminal. This podcast will focus on restorative justice, Restorative justice is a system of criminal justice that focuses on the rehabilitation of offenders through reconciliation with victims and the community at large.
0: This isn't a story about a cold case or a serial killer. No one is on trial here. Guilt or innocence is not in question. This is a story about a man named Jason Wayne Clark. 24 years ago, he made a life-altering decision. And 24 years later, he's here to tell his story about
2: his redemption. My name is Jason Clark. I'm 44 years old. At age 20, I killed Charlene Heinemann.
1: Murder isn't just an event. It's a process that unfolds slowly. Jason's journey that led to that fateful spring evening began on June 14, 1972 in Oklahoma City. He was born to a teen mom and a dad that disappeared before Jason was even born.
2: My mother had ran away from home, got pregnant, had me in Oklahoma after she had run away from home. And when she tried to go back, uh, she, couldn't come, she couldn't go home with me. She couldn't go back home with me, the, the bastard. So uh, she had to give me up. So she left me in, in a motel room and went back home.
0: At just six months old, Jason was abandoned in a California motel. His earliest memories were flashes of going in and out of foster homes. Families would tell him, you're living here, we're your parents now. But they always ended up tossing him aside until he met a married couple named Tex and Barbara at age six. Tex worked as a factory worker and Barbara was a
2: teacher's aide at elementary school. Jason finally felt stability with them. A lot of people are aware I'm a huge Star Wars fan. One of the one of the first good memories is going to see, that's like the first movie I saw at a drive-in. Totally blew my mind. That's like one of the first good memories that sticks out. That's why I've been a Star Wars fan forever. It's because of that, the impact that had.
1: About a year later, a social worker called Jason in for a meeting. The most surprising part of his day wouldn't be his first elevator ride. He would enter as Jason Dell Jones... He would exit as Jason Wayne Clark. She asked if everything was all right at his new home with Tex and Barbara.
2: Basically, her statement was, you know, if, you know, are you doing good here or not? Because if if it's not if it's not good, uh, then we could find somewhere else for you to live. And uh, at that point, uh, like I said, things were stable and good, and uh, I almost panicked trying to assure her that everything was fine cuz I didn't want to go someplace else you know start that uh, roller coaster over again so yeah it was uh I made a real point of assuring her that everything was was good and stable and everything like that
0: After an hour of discussing his life with Texan Barb the social worker informed him of his new name Jason Wayne Clark He might have lost his birth name but for Jason It felt like he was finally gaining an identity. That abandoned six-month-old was now a part of something he only saw on TV or in Star Wars movies. He was a part of something real, his own family. Sadly, though, that ideal family was short-lived.
1: Can you talk about a memory that sticks out that wasn't so great?
2: One of the ones that really sticks out, and it was an incident that happened actually with Barbie, their other adopted kid, was uh, she had a tendency to violent outbursts. Cause of whatever she was going through when she was a kid, it happened so frequently that they eventually put a, a hasp on her door with the padlock and put her in there because that was like the only way they could control her. Like the first time that happened, where they actually locked her in a room like that, that was one of the ones that really sticks you out. You could
1: just like hear her yelling through the door, yeah, like. and
2: just uh, it just became a you know, crying and whimpering and everything else coming out through the door. That's one of the ones that really stuck out. Barbara
1: wasn't the only one who screamed. When Jason was 11, arguments between his parents began to elevate daily. So much so that one day, Barbara and Tex had had enough of each other. They broke the news to Barbie and Jason that they were getting a divorce.
0: Tex moved out, and Barbara wasn't alone for long. Her new boyfriend, Bill, would move in with his son, James. Bill was a welder, working 12-hour days, the type of guy who expected dinner to be ready the minute he walked in the door. His son James shared a room with Jason. Often, they would mimic their favorite WWF moves. One day, however, Bill, after another grueling day, had had enough
2: of their horse playing. And I remember Bill had come in, and I, I didn't even know he had come in the room. But he had grabbed both of us by the back of the neck and bounced our heads off of each other, you know? And uh, Bill's, I don't know, 6'2", 240. Um, At that time, I was probably 120 pounds. James was about the same size. And uh, I remember my vision going from fading from black back into color. You know, you bang your head really hard and uh, fading from black back into color. And it, what it seemed like from a distance was, was him yelling. Uh, it was like, God damn it, keep it down. I have a headache or something like that. That was the point in time that uh, I hate you and that's never going to change. And uh, as a kid, I had made it a point to not get along with this individual. It was just, I had made up my mind and that was it.
1: It was then that Jason started to remove himself from social situations and from his family. He started acting out in ways he didn't understand.
2: I remember looking in the refrigerator and I was hungry and there was some chicken fajita mix with the vegetables and the chicken and stuff like that in foil. And I remember grabbing that and uh, taking it. Uh, I took it out and I was going to go to my room with it. And I had stopped. The house had two restrooms. The, the one by the kitchen was uh, Texan barbers and the one in the back was the kids. And uh, but for some reason I had went in there and opened the cupboard under the sink and I had taken this fajita mix and I had stuck it up underneath the sink and hit it there. Even looking back on it and trying to understand, it, still not 100% sure of the motive or whatever it was uh, of why I did that. Then I had completely forgotten about it. And uh, a few days later, the chicken had started to go bad and started to smell and uh, Barbara went and, and found it. And I understand now that you know, she didn't understand why I would do this. And when she's yelling at me to try and explain why I did this, I didn't have an answer. Uh, I, I, it wasn't a, it's, I almost want to say it wasn't even a conscious thought why I did this. It just, it was an impulse. It's, I just did it to do it. Uh, I didn't realize this till later on. And, uh, I was actually watching, uh, of all things, Oprah Winfrey. And, uh, She had some some kids on there that were from, uh, they were African, they were, I I don't remember, like from Chad, you know, one of the war torn countries down there. And uh, she was talking to them, and uh, they were living with an adopted family. And this was one of the things that they were doing. When they talked about that, they had psychologists and stuff come on and talk about it. And what it is, what these kids were doing, it's an impulsive behavior because. Growing up the way they did, they didn't know where their next meal was coming from, the, anything like that, and uh, that's why they do that. Did you ever have a father figure? There's always people that give you some positive feedback, whether it's a teacher or a coach or somebody like that. But um, my mindset at the time either wouldn't ignored it or wouldn't accept it or something like that. Or, like I said, I was I had. Started the process of distancing myself from everybody. So even when I got it, it was maybe not accepted as sincere. Uh, Even if the person was sincere in giving that, I personally uh, probably didn't accept it the way it was given. So you know, we all have positive influences throughout our life. You know, like I said, teachers or or coaches or uh, you know maybe a friendly neighbor or something like that, but. Uh, I probably wasn't willing to accept those, those, uh, the, the, the positive feedback.
0: Jason was confused, lonely, and angry. With no constructive outlet, he began to suppress emotions. But just because you suppress something doesn't mean it goes away. That confusion, loneliness, and anger would continue to simmer just below the surface. While Jason was being shuffled back and forth between broken homes, he continued to withdraw, to the point where he would frequently run away. At this point, Tex was now living at a trailer park. And one day, while visiting Tex, Jason would meet a man named Danny. Uh,
2: That was Danny. Uh, And I'm not gonna sit here and blame all the bad things on my in my life on Danny, but that was the turning point. We used to drink and smoke pot together and stuff like that. And he started doing meth, and he introduced me to meth. And uh, that was for me. That was the beginning of the end. That was uh, when everything spiraled out of control. I could I could pin it all to that. The first time I did it, the uh, the the rush that I felt from it, uh, everything else. It was. Um. Uh, it was completely insane. And I was one of those rare individuals that the first time they do something it becomes completely addicted to it. And that was me with meth. It was, I was just went completely into using it.
1: At age 16, Jason had had enough. He decided to hit the road living the life of a drifter, crashing on couches, sleeping under freeways, and hitchhiking farther away from his intolerable broken home.
0: He would venture up and down California, even Tijuana. But his mission wasn't to see the Hollywood sign. All Jason cared about was that next elusive high. And his bigger supporters were fellow drug users.
2: Part of the reason I liked it was there was there was no rules these were people that just did whatever they want and the drug addict community is very accepting of people you know if you have drugs or you have something that you stole to get drugs they will take you to their connect they will take you to their house they will uh, welcome you with open arms as long as you have dope is what it comes down to and I always had dope or something to get dope with and uh, I was hanging out with, it was all adults, uh, 25, 30 years old, older, um, 16, 17 years old, uh, running around doing it and just uh, uh, hanging out with adults, uh, slamming dope, uh, shooting up dope. And at the, time, I, at the time, I really thought it was great at the time. I really did. Um, it was the whole, and I, refer, I say this all the time, lifestyle. But, and, that, and that's what it was. Um, was just progressively spiraling downward. Fat, you know, I don't. I, there's one point where I don't even call it a spiral because it was a it was a nosedive. Uh, there was no spiral to it. It was a, it was a nosedive straight down uh, to the bottom. Jason's nosedive
1: didn't include just petty theft and robbery. No, it extended to something
0: much darker. Can you explain the first time you paid for meth with prostitution?
2: It got to the point where I was doing whatever it was was necessary to get high. Stealing was a big part of it. It got to the point where prostitution became part of it. Um, A a lot of older guys had no problem giving a teenager drugs and money uh, to get them high and have sex with them. It's it's as simple as that. Uh, And and the first time this happened, I was actually hitchhiking somewhere. I never had a car. Uh, I used to hitchhike all the time, wherever I needed to go. And uh, the first time it happened, I was hitchhiking, and uh, a guy asked me if I wanted to party. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And uh, we ended up uh, getting a motel room and just getting high and having sex. And uh, I'll be blunt and crass about it. We were fucking is all we were doing. And uh, uh, I got a, uh, a bunch of dope and a motel room for the night for it. He had left afterwards, and I had a, You know, had an opportunity to get, you know, shower and clean up. And uh, I realized there was, this was another way to support my habit and get the things that I wanted. Uh, and so that became uh, a regular part of my life after that. Jason easily
0: detached himself from the act. It was a means to another high. Nothing more nothing less. However, all the drugs, the sex, the partying, would come to a screeching halt on a drug
2: run with Danny. We had actually got arrested together uh, with the car full of stolen property, meth, syringes, the whole nine yards. We were driving back from San Bernardino or something. And uh, we had just scored some dope for a bunch of stuff we had stolen. We stole so much stuff. We got dope and still had stolen property in the car, that kind of thing. Yeah, and um, we got pulled over. He ended up getting convicted of contributing delinquency of a minor. Got out, like, a month later.
1: As for Jason's fate, he went to
2: court. When I went to, uh, in front of the judge, um, Tex and Barbara were both in the in the courtroom, and uh, when the, uh, I got called up, and they called them up as my parents, my legal guardians, uh, they had informed the uh, judge that I was incorrigible. Declaring me incorrigible means that uh, they can't control me. Um, it's it's a legal it's a legal term, and at that point right there, I became a ward of the state again. And, uh, to say that I was hurt at that time would have been an understatement.
1: And just like that, Jason was abandoned yet again, but this time it was to his face.
2: I went back to juvenile hall. I eventually ended up going to Voice Republic. Uh, Boys Republic at the time was a working Boys Ranch, um, school uh, chores. Uh, uh, I was putting on the farm crew. I had to get up early and go move irrigation pipes around and stuff like that. Uh, everybody had different chores. You know, at first I, I guess it was okay. You know, some structure, good food, uh, put on some weight, got healthy again. Um, uh, where everything went to crap at Boys Republic was uh, they had a lot of groups and stuff. It's part of the program. And uh, where everything went to crap was um, I felt that I needed to talk about, because that's what they talk about is is you need to talk about what you've been through and what you're going through and, and, and this stuff. And they, they make a big deal at every group to talk about everything in the group is confidential. Uh, all the rules that go with the group.
0: He thought, finally, a safe environment free from judgment where he could express himself openly and honestly. You see, Jason didn't just want to be loved. He wanted to be heard. Remember all that loneliness, confusion, and anger? To Jason, it would soon be used against him.
2: And when I finally, uh... Uh, decided to open up and talk about uh, what I had been doing and going through uh, in the group. The uh, counselor uh, immediately yanked me out of the group, Uh, had to file a report because I was a minor having sex with older men, uh, which... uh, I, I didn't want to be a part of that i did you know I had no love for authority figures I didn't want the police involved again uh anything like that um that was bad enough. The worst part of it was uh, going back after the group and uh having other guys uh start to talk crap fag homo the whole the, the usual uh you know Teenage boys. Uh, and, you know, this was in 19, 1989. Uh, our culture wasn't as progressive as it is now. Um, so, uh, almost got in some fights, had some problems. Uh, and the part that pissed me off the most was these guys that, after the group, these guys that went around and talked about what I talked about and, and were giving me a ration of shit about it. I was the one that ended up going back to juvenile hall because it was easier to send me back to juvenile hall than the you know eight or ten guys that were that broke the rules. But uh, that that right there really fucked me up. It made me you know if, if I wasn't pissed off and angry at the world before that that really did it. What it came down to is the injustice of it. I actually did okay while I was in a structured environment. Um, I actually functioned okay. It was it was again leaving there and uh, aging out of the system. It's here's the door. Now all the structure and everything is gone. It was it was when I wasn't in the structured environment that I had the problems, and uh, just went immediately back into the same lifestyle doing drugs. Running around stealing. Just started it right up again as as soon as I was out.
0: But Jason wasn't just the carefree drifter anymore. There was a seething anger present. He wasn't just armed with bottled up emotions. Now, he was armed with a 12-inch hunting knife.
1: on the next episode of The Redemption Podcast. Did you ever come close to hurting someone before Charlene?
2: Um, yeah.
1: To learn more about Jason's story please visit westwoodwestwood.com. you. <laughs>